Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the podcast. I'd like to welcome my guests to the show today, Caleb Avery, who's the founder and CEO of Tilled.com. Hello, Caleb. How are you? And welcome to the show. I'm doing great, man. Really appreciate you having me on today and you know, excited to jump in. Yeah, very excited by a couple of conversations that we've had so far, but I'm excited to share more with the audience. If you would, before we dive in, if you could give our audience a little bit more information about your background and how you got to where you are today, I think that would be great. Yeah, happy to do it. Uh, as far as my background, I got started in the payment space by co-founding a credit card processing ISO while I was in college. So I got started at 19 going door to door selling payment processing services to, to small business owners. And you know, as I scaled up that first business, I started getting brought in on consulting opportunities for larger software platforms. And a lot of these guys were anywhere between about 100 million up to about a billion dollars in annual processing volume. And most of them were really just starting their payments monetization journey. And so we were helping them transition off of platforms like Stripe or, or Braintree. And you know, really throughout that experience, several of the platforms were really considering this route of becoming a, a payment facilitator or payfac. And the reality was that used to be about a two-year multi-million dollar process. And you know, as you can imagine, that wasn't all that appealing to you know a lot of the companies that we were uh, working with. And so the core concept behind Till, my, my new business, our offering we call Payfac as a service. And it's the idea that any software platform can come plug into our APIs and SDKs and get up and running in just a few weeks. Wow. That is uh, super interesting. And I'm very interested to dive more into this topic. If you wouldn't mind for a moment first, because I think there's probably some folks who may be hearing about the terminology for the first time, and you mentioned Payfac as a service. Can you give us a little bit more information about what that work, what that is, what the moving parts are, and how they all fit together? Yeah, certainly. So I think the, the first part of it is just the word Payfac. <laughs> what what does start. Payfac mean? And so, you know, Payfac is short for payment facilitation. And really, when I think about the, the core difference between the Payfac model and the, the legacy ISO model, which is the world that, that I came from, it really comes down uh, to me uh, in principle to the card brand rules and regulations. And so when you think about that traditional ISO model, every merchant, so each dentist, each gym is getting their own merchant account, their own merchant ID. And so they have to go through a very thorough vetting process in order to get their account created in order to be able to accept credit card payments. And so in that world, you've got little requirements like the bank's logo has to be you know, present on the application. You've got to collect supporting documentation like driver's license, voided check, previous processing statements. And it's typically a pretty manual underwriting process. Whereas the payment facilitator model, which you know, Stripe, Square, Braintree, and PayPal are, are probably names that a lot of you know the listeners are, are familiar with. They've really made this model uh, you know pretty famous, and it's all about this relationship between the master merchant and the sub merchant. And so the payment facilitator traditionally goes through this very extensive vetting process with the banks, the acquirers, the card brands to get registered as a master merchant, so that they can create this instant digital boarding experience for the sub-merchants underneath them. And so, you know, a lot of advantages to that payment facilitator model with that instant digital boarding process. The problem though, historically has been that process to go become a payfac and become, you know, that master merchant. And the core concept behind payfac as a service is really offering that instant digital boarding experience to our software partners without having to force each one of them down the regulatory and compliance process 
of becoming that registered PayFAC yourself. And so you really get uh, almost all of the benefits without really any of the, the hassle. That's awesome. It sounds like a much needed and significant evolutionary step in this process to turn something that was complicated, expensive, and time-consuming into a service, right? PayFAC as a service, which is kind of what Tilt is. I'd be interested to hear you explain a little bit more detail as well, too. You started to kind of do that by sharing with us some examples. What was the life in the world look like for your customers before you guys existed? And then how is that different now? Yeah, certainly. So, you know, when you think about you're a, a vertical software platform catering to, you know, any vertical, dental, barbershops, uh, gyms, golf courses, you name it. Uh, the options that you had available before, you could go partner with the likes of someone like a Stripe, uh, consider like a managed payback provider. You can get up and running quickly. You've got the instant digital boarding process, but typically you're not benefiting from any of the economics on the payments flowing through your platform. And that was really where a lot of my consulting clients were coming to me in their journey where they had gotten up and running on Stripe. They had a few hundred customers uh, in their business, maybe a few hundred dollars in volume flowing through their platform. And they were at this point where you know all the executives are sitting around the table saying like, why are we not generating more money off of all of the payments flowing through our platform? And you see you know, these well-known examples like Toast and MindBody and Shopify talking about how much money they're generating off of payments. And so you know, investors and uh, executives of these software companies were sitting around the table like, well, why are we not generating you know, all of this revenue off of the payments flowing through our platform? And so you know, a lot of these companies would start looking into, well, what does it take for us to go become a payfac? And so, you know, when you look at the the prior process, you know, before Tilled, you'd have to find technology partners. You'd have to go through typically about a six month integration. You'd have to hire a team of two to five plus people, depending on the size of the organization. Go through a lengthy contracting process, regulatory approval, uh, typically an audit. Uh, PCI certification. I mean, you're you're talking just this laundry list of tasks. You're typically hiring a consultant, spending money on attorney's fees. Like the the list goes on to to what that world looked like before. And you compare that to you come to Tilled, you plug into our APIs and SDKs, a couple week integration, no need for additional employees. You're not taking on any additional liability, and you're still getting the lion's share of the revenue on all of the transactions flowing through your platform. Sounds like a pretty attractive deal to me, <laughs> for sure. Uh, there's a number of different birds with one stone here, which is super interesting. So you've given us a good idea in terms of what that process looked like before. What what is the if you had to give us like the tactical, the tangible, measurable elements of like how different this process is? I think I heard you say previously, multi-year potential, multi-million dollar like expenses and time involved in the process previously versus. Now, uh, what does it look like working with you guys? Yeah, so until today, no upfront costs. <laughs> so that's that's a pretty big one. Uh, there's no fixed monthly cost either. Our, our entire business model is based upon a concept of a revenue share model. And when I talk about a revenue share model, we give a pass-through of our wholesale cost. We allow our software partners to set the price to their customers. And then we rev share that delta between that price that the customer is paying and then that wholesale cost of, of processing. And so it's really a true partnership model where we make money as our partners make money. Uh, I mentioned before, you know, no need to hire additional employees because we're managing the underwriting, the KYC, the KYB, the chargebacks, the merchant support. We can really manage everything end to end, uh, you know, for our, our software partners. And then 
you know, from a, a technical integration perspective, you're talking a couple of weeks versus, you know, four to six, you know, plus months, plus you're getting a lot of benefits on the technology side as well, where we've got a lot of modern uh, set of, of features and, and functionality, omni-channel payments, webhooks, metadata, uh, things that uh, may not mean a lot to a lot of our listeners, but for the, those people that are searching for payment solutions, you know, they're listening and nodding their head saying that's exactly, you know, what we're looking for in a, in a modern payment provider. Yeah, I've been part of that myself a couple of times back in the scary days when I was writing code, but um, <laughs> always wanting more from the API or not wanting to be limited by the current state of the market and the tools that were available. This is an exciting evolutionary step in this process, giving a lot more liberation back to those folks that are handling payments, right? Now they have the choice, uh, but they have the choice. And you've kind of lowered the barrier to entry for those folks that have that need, have that desire, um, which is, I imagine, offering them a tremendous amount of value. And I know we talked about that before. I want to talk to you a little bit more about what the kind of response has been from the market thus far and what your progress looks like. But before I get there, I want to hear you talk a little bit more about you know, I know you have a lot of experience in payments, uh, but how did you go about essentially kind of identifying this problem and then choosing this one to solve? Yeah, great question. So, you know, for me, I mentioned uh, in the opening that I was going through uh, a lot of consulting projects with various software platforms. I was also angel investing uh, in a number of software companies. And so after seeing essentially the exact same problem, uh, you know, dozens of time, uh, I really started to think through like, why are the current solutions in the market not working? And that was really where I started was going through a customer discovery process and reaching back out to some of the consulting clients that I work with. And then even just cold emailing other uh, you know, software companies say like, why are you not happy with Stripe? Why are you not happy with WorldPay? Why do you not like Finex? Like, what about these solutions, you know, is not fitting the bill for you guys so that I could really understand like what the true problem was with the existing solutions? Because until you understand that problem, it's pretty hard to think about, you know, what the solution could look like because you really have to understand like what's the core reason why the existing solutions aren't working? Is it price? Is it technology? Is it time to market? Is it upfront cost? Is it liability? Like what's the reason why you know people aren't happy with the existing solutions? And the the couple of things that kept coming up in in all of my conversations, people wanted instant digital boarding. They wanted to generate revenue off of the payments flowing through their platform, and they wanted to get up and running quickly. And the reality was that combination of things did not exist in the market. And so for me, as I started thinking through, you know, how could we solve this problem? What would that solution need to look like? I knew that it needed to be based on a payment facilitator model in order to get the, the instant digital boarding uh, process. And then thinking through the business model, that rev share concept solve that second point of being able to monetize the payments and generate revenue off of the platform. But the bigger question was like, how do you get to market quickly? And I think that was really the, the hardest of the problems to solve because it is both a technology problem as well as uh, an existing um, like backend providers and acquirers and banks that you've got to get on board. And so for me, when I started thinking about how to solve that problem, I initially started on the technology side. And went to, to my friends that were developers and like, hey, what can we do here? And the reality was technology alone wasn't going to get us from this you know, six-month or two-year process down to the one or two-week timeframe that I was really looking for. And so I recognized pretty quickly that 
technology was very important, but I really needed to go out and find the partners that were going to get on board uh, with helping me you know, solve this problem. And so that was really where I spent the better part of the first year uh, of, of the journey uh, before there was an LLC, before I was hiring people, kind of thinking through like, what would those partnerships need to look like? And how would I go about bringing all of the pieces together to solve this problem? Yeah. And as we, uh, you know, the results speak for themselves following that process and really doing all of that hard work. There's a couple of things you mentioned there that I want to specifically highlight for our listeners. The period of time when you were selling services through consulting, diving deep into the problems, getting a lot of uh, qualitative data. And then you mentioned seeing the patterns of these problems for your, you know, your sphere of influence, what you were observing and the folks you were working with, you were able to identify the patterns of problems over time that combined with additional discovery and diving deeper into folks that were using these alternative options that existed on the market try to find what you said essentially were the problems or the limitations of those systems. Like where, where does that system not go where the customer wants to go? And then again, what are the patterns of those problems look like? You put all of those combinations together to say, basically, what if, and if we solved it in this way, offer this as a solution to the market, what level of interest would there be in something like that to come up with essentially what you have now and tilled and the other thing I want to hear you talk a little bit more about is what your progress is like thus far, what growth has been like, because we've talked about that before. So share a little bit more about progress at Tilt, and then I'll have a couple more questions about that from there. Yeah, certainly. So, you know, it, it's been a, a pretty fun journey over the, the last few years. You know, I, I really started focusing my, my energy on this problem back in January of, of 2019. And so it's been a, a little over, you know, three-year journey to, to get to where we are um, in the business, but the reality was we didn't raise outside capital until back in November of 2020. And so, um, when we started 2021, uh, we had five people on the team, uh, at Tilled, and we ended last year with about 40 people on the team. We're up to 65 people, uh, on the, the team today. And so, you know, when I reflect on the journey, really even just over the last, um, you know, I guess call it 16 months, uh, it's been a, a pretty wild ride going from five people on the team to, to 65 people on the team. And, you know, the initial, uh, we'll call it launch of the, the business was really, you know, Austin kind of a pre-sales motion going out on LinkedIn. And I put out two posts on my personal LinkedIn. I got about 40,000 views on LinkedIn. We had 40 <laughs> software companies come inbound, you know, wanting That's to learn amazing. more about what we were doing. And so I think at that point in time, I certainly knew that there was interest <laughs> in the oh, market yeah. for, you know, at the time, a made up term, pay fact as a service. I, yeah. I think initially kind of curiosity. Uh, and then that curiosity has really turned to interest uh, over the last 16 months as, you know, our brand has matured, the product has matured. And I think the market uh, itself has matured as well. That's fantastic. Yeah. I mean, really what you need is an effective hook get people engaged, they start diving deeper and get a better understanding of what it is and how it might help them solve their problem. And then kind of things fall in line from there. So for sure, it sounds like, you know, unbelievable growth. Obviously, you just described the scenario of greater than 10 times growth in a short period of time. So I, I imagine it's been a pretty wild ride. I've been there and it's exciting times, but crazy all at the same time. <laughs> uh, the, Definitely. Yeah, the demand for what you're working on is a very interesting element to me here as well, too. And I want to underscore this because I would argue that the problem that you solved is a huge problem, right? We're talking about a big problem that has dramatic implications for all those out there handling payments, right? 
how many SaaS platforms or different businesses that you're describing aren't handling payments, right? Everyone's handling payments. Um, I've had other members on the show doing creative things like that as well, too. Starting with a huge problem and building a solution in that space offers you a lot of potential, right? There's a lot of folks that they get very specialized with the problem they want to solve and like getting getting niched is it can be an advantage in a lot of a lot of different ways but largely from a marketing or a positioning perspective not necessarily the problem that you're solving the bigger the problem that you can solve with what it is you want to build the easier it's going to be to find traction and get the kind of growth that ultimately that you want then if you want to start making the world smaller you can from there but you have a lot of potential to kind of open it up from there because the market is just so big. So I'd love to hear you talk a little bit more about like what growth has been like so far in terms of where you were, where you're at now, and then talk to us a little bit more about what's next. Yeah, certainly. So, you know, for us, when we were initially starting out, uh, call it 16 months ago, we were really focused on, I'd say, smaller software platforms. And so, you know, initially it was more, call it, 25 million to maybe 500 million in in annual processing volume was really a target customer uh, for us. And as we've gotten out into the into the market, uh, a couple of things have have really bubbled up. One, uh, initially we were almost entirely inbound. LinkedIn was probably 90 odd percent of the the traffic uh, into the business, and they were primarily smaller companies, startups, people you know really on the the earlier end of their their payment journey. But as we've progressed with our, our product offering and started to scale up our business and our platform, there, there have been a couple of things that have started to happen. One, we've started to see interest from larger platforms. And so uh, now we would say our kind of sweet spot is about 50 million to 2 billion in annual processing volume. Now we do have startups that we work with and we've got enterprise organizations that are they're north uh, you know, of that $2 billion milestone. But the core for us is this you know, mid-market two, uh, 50 million to 2 billion uh, in annual processing volume. We've also started to, to get a pretty sizable number of reseller and referral partners uh, that we're working with. And so, you know, when you think about the, the gap in the market, there was not only a gap for the software companies themselves looking for, uh, you know, payment technology solutions. There were also thousands of these uh, reseller partners and agents and ISOs and payments consultants that were out there selling suboptimal solutions, which was really where I entered the market from as a consultant going out there seeking partnerships with these software platforms. And certainly the tools that I had available at my disposal, you know, four or five, six years ago were were suboptimal. And when you look at, you know, our competitors, none of them are really arming this enormous group of um you know, uh, reseller and, and referral partners in this channel. And you know, historically that's where payments have been distributed. <laughs> when you look at, you know, the sure. last 10, 20 years of, of payments, like agents and ISOs have been a huge part of that distribution model for the, the legacy processors. And, and for me, I think one of the unique perspectives that I brought to the, the kind of ISV and software-led side of the business was that there is interest from you know these more traditional ISOs and agents in bringing you know technology solutions to uh, ISVs and not just going door to door you know to salons and and liquor stores and so we've really unlocked uh, that reseller channel as well as you know the the tremendous opportunity with you know, direct software platforms. And I think that combination has been really powerful for us from a go-to-market perspective because 
you know, right now we've got all of three people uh, on our sales team, not not including myself. And so we don't have the resources to go out and, you know, kick down every door of every software platform to get the word out there about what we're doing. But with dozens of referral partners that have, you know, agent channels underneath them, we're able to get the word out there in a much more efficient way about what it is that we're building. Yeah, that's a great example as well too, right? Is after you, right, you need traction in one area. You get traction in one area that helps you validate value proposition, product market fit, a number of different things that is still relatively ambiguous early on. As you start to get positive feedback about the value that your product or service is delivering, that becomes more interesting in terms of where you can kind of grow from there. Uh, This is an element that people have a lot of questions about as well, too, in terms of like, how do I go upstream or downstream or how do I move up, right? Like a lot of folks want to work with larger, more well-established organizations that have bigger problems, larger budgets, right? The problems they have at those levels sometimes are even another level of significant. And it sounds like you've been able to do that with Tilt thus far. So I'd love to hear you talk a little bit more about that in terms of, were you always thinking you would move upstream? Did you start smaller because it was going to be easier to gain traction? Like what was the strategy like there? And how did you figure out where you wanted to kind of zero in that $50 million to $2 billion in revenue range? Yeah, certainly. So um, I think for us, when we started out originally, the, the product was a better fit for for earlier stage companies and so from a you know what does it take to to sell up market i think there's there's product changes there's legal changes there's process changes there's knowledge changes like there's a lot that has to happen to go from selling to a startup to going and now you know we've got public companies you know that that we're working with and like th- those are very different uh, things and so for us you know from a product perspective you've got to get uh, much more advanced on your reporting and reconciliation and dashboards and analytics. And so the, the expectation is certainly much higher uh, working with enterprise customers. They've also got a lot more security concerns. You know, when you're working with the three-man startup, they're not asking you about your security policies and, you know, wanting to, to really, sure. you know, dive under the hood. Whereas, you know, you're working with a public company and they're like, okay, we need to see your, you know, PCI level one, you know, rock or your your AOC and send me this security policy. And you go through this this questionnaire and all of a sudden, you know, your security guy is spending two weeks filling out, you know, a, a security questionnaire. And like, if you as an organization don't have the right answers to all of those questions, like your chances of winning business, you know, at that enterprise level are, are <laughs> pretty slim. Uh, it's also a bit of a different process. And so, you know, if your sales team is used to, hey, we've got a two or three week close process, well, that's not going to be the case when you're going and working with, you know, multi-billion dollar uh, companies where there's layers of, you know, approval and you've got to go through 17 phone calls and it's a, a six month process. Um, and then even just from like a legal contracting perspective, like the contract that you start with for, you know, Mr. Startup is going to be a very different contract than, you know, the expectation of the, the enterprise partner. And so I think it takes a really um, coordinated and, and like intentional approach to, to move up market where you've got to think about what are the needs of these customers? How do we solve them? And do they have a different um, do they have different concerns with the counterparties that they're doing business with? And some of that is funding. And so just the nature of the fact that we've now raised multiple rounds of funding, we've got a more substantial balance sheet, we've got a larger team, we've now got the capacity to serve these enterprise customers in a way where, you know, when we had a $2 million seed round and we were five people, the public companies don't want to talk to you. But now, you know, we've raised 
uh, almost $30 million in capital. We've got 65 people on the team. We've got you know, an established customer base. As a company, we're just in a different position uh, in the market to, to be able to serve these guys and them get comfortable <laughs> doing business you know, with us uh, as a counterparty. Well said. And that story and the way you described it is what I talk a lot about with folks I work with in terms of trying to figure out how to make, how to put all of those pieces together and in the right order to raise the probability of having success at that level. And it's difficult to go from zero to enterprise or working with some of these larger institutions till you have all those pieces in place and that track record of success. You need to have a certain level of performance. You got to be able to check every box, got to be able to sustain those long sales cycles, right? Have all those components in place in order to even have the opportunity to vet your value proposition at a level like that. And I think that underscores even more so starting out by solving a big problem, because if you're starting out by solving a big problem in a unique way, you've got a great opportunity to solve something that is essentially ubiquitous. It exists at all levels, right? So if you can gain traction and start making progress at a smaller level, where you're able to work with those smaller teams and organizations, you can do. You can start building that track record of success so that if and when the time is ready, moving upstream or moving up market is relatively straightforward, right? It's never necessarily easy, but it's a never lot easy. more straightforward than <laughs> if you skip that first step, <laughs> right? That makes it, uh, makes a lot more, raises the probability significantly that that will go well. Certainly. That's impressive. Uh, super exciting. Last question I would have for you before I get into a few and we kind of tie up this episode is, what is some of the best advice you'd have for someone listening in to you tell the tilled story in terms of like where you were and where you're at now? Uh, what's the best guidance you have for other entrepreneurs, founders, and CEOs? Yeah, great, great question. I, I think for me, uh, one of the things I've talked a lot about in this episode is, is really the concept of feedback. And so, you know, for me, it was soliciting feedback early and often in the process. And it was something that that really informed the early days before I spent any money and before we wrote, you know, any code to, to really, you know, understand the, the problem. But it's really, you know, guided us all along the, the journey where, you know, we started out in pre-sales motion, getting feedback from customers. We went into beta mode, getting feedback from customers. We launched, get feedback from customers, go out and talk to enterprise customers. What are we doing wrong? How can, how can we help? And like that has really informed us, you know, at, at every step of the process. And I think a lot of, of entrepreneurs that, that I talk with are nervous about asking these questions. And I found, especially in the early days when I didn't have a product to sell, People were happy to talk to me because I wasn't trying to sell them something. I was genuinely looking for advice. I was genuinely looking for for feedback. Um, and so I, I would say get out there and, and talk to you know your your would be customers and and get as much you know detailed feedback as you can or as early in the process as you can. Such great advice, right? That way I've heard that summarized is don't fall in love with the solution, fall in love with the problem. Other advice I've given from time to time is. Think of your solution or your product as a fluid concept, especially in the beginning, right? Because that you want to, just like you mentioned, you want to be able to take actionable steps with that advice that you're getting that is invaluable, right? Your customer will help you validate your product, but you've got to ask the questions, you've got to put in that time, and you've got to listen because they will tell you essentially, they might not know exactly how to make it better, but they'll tell you what's wrong, right? And that is uh, half the battle, right? You take that information, you organize it into something actionable, you come up with another version, you test again, right? And you keep getting feedback until, you know, you get a different set of, of type of feedback, which means you've made progress, right? 
never going to be perfect, but that's kind of the idea. You're right? learning. Continuously make it better. Exactly. Learn and build your product with your customer, not you know, assuming that you know everything about the process because I've made that mistake before. That doesn't go well. <laughs> Great advice. Nope. Um, other Two other questions I have for you, Caleb. The first one is, are there any resources in particular where you'd recommend anybody who listened to this episode kind of go to learn more about anything we talked about uh, or anything about Tilt? Certainly. So, you know, I, I personally am very active on, on LinkedIn, very active uh, on LinkedIn. Uh, if you're not a fan of LinkedIn, our website is always a great place to start. That's tilt.com, T-I-L-L-E-D. Uh, the company uh, is also active on Twitter and Instagram at GetTilled. Fantastic. We'll add those to the show notes. And then the last question I have for you is who should reach out to you and how can they get in touch? Certainly. So any software companies that are looking to, to monetize the payments going through their, their platform, we'd love to, to speak with you uh, through our website. We've got a number of different forms you can fill out, emails that you can find. Uh, plenty of people message me directly on LinkedIn. So uh, feel free to, to contact us in, in whatever method uh, you find most convenient. That's right. Caleb's still listening intently to those customers. So any customers out there that need that kind of help, reach out to him and he'll help you out. Thank you, Caleb. I appreciate you being here and sharing your knowledge and story with our audience. Awesome, Sean. Thanks so much for having me on today. I really appreciate it. Thanks for listening to this episode of Product Launch. I hope you got value out of it. I like to feature product people on my podcast because that's who I love to help. I'm a product strategist and I can help you scale your business and grow your profit through a product. If you'd like to learn more about how I can help you, email me at sean at nextstep.io. That's sean, S-E-A-N, at nextstep, N-X-T-S-T-E-P.io. Or visit my website at nextstep.io. That's N-X-T-S-T-E-P.io. Hey folks, Sean here, and thanks for listening to this episode. I hope you got a ton of value out of it. If you did, I'd encourage you to also sign up for my free five-day email course about launching a profitable B2B SaaS application for less than $750. If you'd like to sign up for that course, you can do so at nextstep.io forward slash B2B SaaS.